Go ahead and start making your way back to your seats. Get your coffee and your bagels and your fruit. Give some hugs and come on back. Thanks for being here this morning. My name is Johnny. Like Pastor Al said, I'm one of the pastors. Uh, I love serving here. Love serving with Al. We're in a series in January that we just called Renew. Uh, It's on the front of your handout. And what we wanted to do was start the year by looking at uh, how can we posture ourselves for God to make us new? How can we pray for renewal? How can we pray for spiritual personal renewal in our life. And so over the first three weeks, we've looked at a lot of very specific ways that God works in us to bring renewal, what it means to be made new, what it means to set a new trajectory for your life. Pastor Al looked at what does it mean to renew your mind. Last week, we looked at preaching to yourself. That's one way you're made new as we remember who God is. But this week, I wanted to take a little bit different route. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 42 and 43. Psalm 42 and 43, and this week I wanted to talk about what do you do with your sorrow? And you may say, Johnny, what does that have to do with renewal? What does it have to do with being made new? And I think sometimes renewal means you're going at a pace and God gives you extra energy and extra vibrancy to almost go to this extra gear that you didn't know you had is maybe it's ministry effectiveness. Maybe it's joy overflowing that you'd never experienced before. Maybe it's this mountaintop spiritual experience. And a lot of times when we say words like renewal, we're thinking of that. But for some of us, renewal would just be breaking even. For some of us, renewal in our life isn't going from like a five to a 10. It'd be going from a negative two to a three, right? So Psalm 42 and 43, what, what do you do with your sorrow? And we were just talking this morning. Justin asked me, what are you preaching this morning? So we're standing there, me, him, and Jonathan, and we said, well, Psalm 42. And I said, you know, you come to church, and how are you? What do you say? I'm good. How are you? Good. And I try to give a more thoughtful answer. I'm like, there's got to be more than two options here, good or not good. What, else, what other adjectives can I use to describe how I am doing? So often we just say, good, we come to church and we feel like we ought to have, like church ought to be a place of joy. It ought to be a place of happiness. It ought to be a place of uh, kind of upbeat spirits and fun, right? What happens when you don't feel that? What happens when you, the clouds settle in, the fog settles on your life and you find yourself deep in despair? You may even find yourself battling depression. You find yourself battling sorrow or, or like this psalmist, you, you find yourself totally spiritually empty. And you can remember times in your life when you said, I, I love God, I know God's changed my life, but right now, I mean, it's almost like I'm not even sure God's real. I'm not sure he's there. I'm not sure he's here with me now. I'm not sure he hears me. What do you do with that? How should we respond? And this is why I love coming to the Psalms because the Psalms are a roadmap to the presence of God from every possible human emotion. Steep yourselves in the Psalms for the rest of your lives. And no matter what mountaintop or valley or hardship you find yourself in, 
you'll find a place in the Psalms that shows you how to get to the presence of God from where you're at. And so today we're going to talk about what do we do with our sorrow. And I'll tell you the main point right out of the gate that the main point of this sermon is that you can bring your sorrows to God. And so we're going to talk about how do we do that. But first, I want to read all of Psalm 42 and 43, and you may say, why both? Uh, And it's because both together are viewed as one literary unit. You'll see why when we read it. There's this phrase that's repeated three times, 42 verse 5, verse 11, and then at the end of chapter 43 and verse 5, he repeats the same couple lines. So this is viewed as kind of one poetic unit, even though we separate it into two different chapters. So Psalm chapter 42, read with me. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, would you open our eyes to see your word, move our hearts to live in light of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the main point of our sermon today is that you can bring your sorrows to God. And the first point we're going to talk about is that to do this, what we see in Psalm 42 and 43 is that you have to be honest with God. Be honest with God. Uh, Look with me how the psalmist does not hide or put on a face all throughout these two psalms when he prays. In verses one and two, he's honest about his longing for God. He compares his longing for God to a deer who, now we read the word pants, but what's loaded into that in the original language is this deer who's in a drought and can't find water. Not someone who's in the living room and goes, oh, oh, I need to go to the kitchen, get something to drink. No, no, it's a deer in a desert with no available water and is panting for water for his life. 
And he says, that's how I'm longing for you, God. I mean, he's honest about his longing for God. Verse three, look at him be honest about his tears, how they've been his food day and night. He's honest about his fears, his fears that he's been forgotten by God, his fears that he's been rejected by God. That's, that's pretty brutal honesty to God. Look at him be honest about his questions in verses three and 10 when he, he repeats the same line where his, his enemies taunt him saying, where is your God? Where's this God you've spoken of that was so faithful to you, so good for you? Where is he now? He's honest about his questions. He, he's honest about his emptiness. And I think verse four sums up his honesty really well when it says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Now this was a good ancient way of saying that he revealed everything that was inside of him. He dumped out his heart, dumped out his mind, dumped out everything that was in and got it out. Now, we've got a good saying today that gets at the opposite of pour out your soul. We say, man, I just kept that bottled up, right? That's a phrase we use. Well, what does that mean? It means you're keeping a lid on it. And when you got things bottled up, you, you can't let it out. And for whatever reason, you're choosing not to let it out. But Psalm 42 and 43 is showing us that if we're going to take any steps to truly deal with our sorrow, we can be honest with God. And listen to the good news. It won't crush him. God's not looking for you to always be happy. God's not looking for you to always be positive or in a good mood. You know, God's bigger than your good moods and your bad mood swings. But Psalm 42 and 43 is showing us that if you're going to be honest with God, if you're going to bring your sorrows to God, you can't keep everything inside bottled up, but you have to be honest with God about everything you're feeling. And I think for some of us that's really hard because we're not even honest with ourselves about what's going on. But if we're going to be honest with God, the first thing we've got to do is slow down to take some time to discover the hurt and the pain, the despair and the sorrow that's in your own heart. Hundreds of years ago, a philosopher named Pascal said, the greatest problem with man is that we can't sit in our room and be quiet by ourselves." This was before the technology we have today. How prophetic. We don't have to be quiet. And he said hundreds of years ago, he said that because he said, we're scared of what we might find within ourselves." We're scared of what we might discover in our own mind, in our own hearts. We're scared of how empty we might really be. So we don't want to come face to face with it. But the good news is that God invites us not to come face to face with it and then be left to our own devices to heal it. He says, bring it to me. Take the time to discover what's going on within you. Slow down. Come to terms with your brokenness. Come to get a good sense of your sorrow and bring it to God. So you've got to slow down to discover what's in you, and then you go to God right away. You don't wait at all, but you pray with raw and brutal honesty. Some of us need to repent of praying fake prayers to God. If you're hurting, pray hurts. I've heard a pastor say, I guess, pray your fears and pray your tears. That's for, I, I know many of the stories, and I'm sure not all of the stories in our room, and some of you need to be encouraged to pray your tears this morning. I mean, 
Do you think God doesn't want to hear that? I assure you he does. Psalm 42 assures you that he does. Do you feel far from God? Did you know that the first step is to tell him that? Did you know that that's the first step? Because this is actually a practice of the gospel. Go back and remember what we believe about the gospel. It's that you bring nothing to the table and God provides everything. But something happens when we go from the gospel and we celebrate the grace of God. Then we move to prayer and all of a sudden we're legalistic and say, well, I can't bring that to God in prayer. I've got to be good and I've got to have something to say and I've got to word it in this certain way and I've got to have these positive things to say about God. Oh, oh, holy thou lovest thee. And we don't know how to pray to God because we feel like we've got to fit this mold. But we come over here and celebrate the gospel and say, no. I'm a sinner and I bring nothing to the table. The same is true of prayer. Come messy. Come honest. Come broken. Come weary. And watch God spread his arms wide open and take you in. So if you find yourself deep in sorrow this morning, the first truth for you to remember is that you can be honest with God but you first got to take the time to look within yourself, come to terms with it, and bring it into the presence of God. Bring it into the presence of God. Some of us need to be reminded that it's not wrong to be less than full. The psalmist here is talking about emptiness, spiritual emptiness. It's not wrong to be less than full, it's human. It's not sinful to acknowledge pain, brokenness, and sorrow. That's not sinful, that's human. Some of us need to be reminded about that this morning. That you can be honest with God in the depths of your sorrow. But as we're honest with God, I think as we keep reading these these two Psalms, we see that the next thing the Psalmist does is he's honest with himself. And what I mean by that is he's not honest with himself about himself. He's honest with himself about truth that he's forgetting. Last week, we talked about Psalm 103 and how this psalmist preached to himself. And right here, we kind of see him doing the same thing. Because something interesting happens when things go really bad for us. That things that we otherwise would totally admit as true, we all of a sudden start completely ignoring those truths. Right? I mean, can you think of times you, you've been deep into despair and depression and sorrow and sadness and emptiness, and all of a sudden you're actually convincing yourself that these things that you've always known are true are, are, are completely false. And you, you all of a sudden are going, nobody, nobody cares about me. God, God is not listening right now. God is not, and all of a sudden your, your list of things that you believed It's just going in the garbage. But this psalmist all throughout, even though he doesn't feel it, he's reminding himself of the truth. He's staying honest with himself. Look what he does in the three times that he repeats 42.5, verse 11, and chapter 43, verse 5. He's telling himself to hope in God. He's not writing this to someone else. He's writing this to himself. He's praying. He's saying, you, talking to God. And then he's turning right around in the same breath. And he's saying, hope in God. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? He's talking to himself, reminding himself. In chapter 42, verse 8, we see that he reminds himself that day and night the Lord loves him and gives him a song to sing. In verse 4, he remembers worshiping with God's people and he 
remembers in verse six, being with God in the promised land. That's what he's talking about when he says, I remember you from the land of Jordan. He's talking about, I remember when I was in the promised land. So we can gather this writer's probably in some sort of exile away from God's people, away from the promised land and the promises of God. And he's remembering, he's trying to remind himself, be honest with himself about truths that he knows he'll have a tendency to forget in his sorrow. So when things go bad for us and we begin to have this tendency to ignore truths that we otherwise almost always admit are right, what do we do? I want to remind ourselves something about truth, though. It, it doesn't mean your feelings are not real. Sometimes we get this uh, worldview that our feelings are the ultimate truth. And if you don't feel it, don't be a hypocrite. Don't say you believe something you don't feel is right. I actually could not disagree more. And I think this psalm is showing us why. Your your feelings are not always an accurate compass for you. But when his feelings are over his head and he's drowning in it, I mean, that's what he's trying to say. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. Your breakers and your waves have gone over me. I'm drowning. So he's trying to remind himself of truth while his feelings are going all over the map. But he's not saying that his feelings are not real. They're very real. Your feelings of despair are real. Your sorrow, your pain, your brokenness, your spiritual emptiness is real. Truth doesn't negate that at all. That's not what truth is meant to do. Truth does not mean your feelings aren't real. And truth does not mean that your feelings don't matter. It doesn't mean that they don't matter. And truth doesn't mean you have to ignore your feelings. And truth does not mean you have to change right away. If that's what truth meant, then here's what the sermon would be this morning. It would sound something like this. Hey, your feelings aren't real because they don't even matter. They're not real, so, so they don't matter. So just ignore them and just change. Right now, this morning, just change your mind. Because they're not real, they don't matter, so ignore them and change. That's not what the psalm says. They are real. They do matter. Don't ignore them. Bring them to God. And change is not immediate. So, so remembering that about truth, what is truth meant to do? The psalmist is he's honest with God about what's going on with him, but then he's honest with himself about truth that he knows he's going to forget. And he knows that truth is meant to be a guide in the darkness. He's meant to be a guide in the darkness. You know, uh, Flying planes is is so interesting. I know nothing about it other than you get on and they kind of take you somewhere else and you get off and everything looks the same. Then you look out the window and you're like, well, I'm in a new place. Uh, And it's kind of this magical experience, right? Where you get in this tube and you go across the sky. If you start thinking too much about flying planes, it freaks me out, okay? And Lynn's Lynn's on a plane almost every week, and Lynn Lynn is a pro flyer, and I know some of you do too, all over the country and the world. And I mean, it still freaks me out when you think about it too much. But one of the things that pilots do, I, I looked this up. It's called instrument flight rules. When pilots are flying, and and all of a sudden they can't depend on their visual references anymore. There's instrument flight rules that all of a sudden they've got to trust their instruments. When their sight fails and the clouds settle and the fog is thick and the storms are there and it's dark, they can't trust what they see anymore. They've got to trust everything that's on their dashboard. 
And they've got to trust the instruments to make sure they're flying in the right direction, that they're flying uh, at the right speed, at the right altitude. They've got to trust their instruments. It's called, hey, let's fly by the instruments. I can't fly by sight. I've got to fly by the instruments. When you're drowning, you can't always trust what you can see out the dash. You can't always trust what you see because you're so blurred by feelings of darkness and pain and struggle. You've got to fly by the instruments for a little while. Check your bearings for a second. Hey, don't just walk by what you see. Check your instruments. Remind yourself of the truth. And just like those pilots flying at night in a storm with clouds and and darkness and they can't trust their visual references, they've got to fly by the instruments. We've got to fly by the instruments in the Christian life when sorrow settles in. So what are our instruments that we're trying to fly by? Well, first, we preach to ourselves. We can preach to ourselves. Go to scripture. You need to find some anchor passages that you can go to in all seasons of your life for however many years God's going to give you that you go to over and over and over again to remind yourself of the truth. And, and I'll tell you some of mine and some really popular ones, but go to Romans chapter 8. Remind yourself of the depths of the riches of God's grace for you in Christ Jesus. Go to Psalm 103 and remind yourself of the incredible ways God's acted towards you. Go to the book of Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter three and remind yourself that there's nothing you can store up that even touches the goodness of knowing Jesus Christ personally. And I hope you have some places like that. Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30 is one of those for me. Come to me all you who are weary and are heavy laden. But you need some anchor passages in your life that you can go and preach to yourself in times of sorrow. The other thing that we see the psalmist do that we need to do is we need to remember the good. The psalmist intentionally goes and remembers, I remember worshiping with God's people. I remember what it was like when we went to worship services. I remember shouts of joy. I mean, he's getting detailed. Shouts of joy. You have to be intentional to remember the good things that God has done in your life. Do you remember times when God's presence was very real to you? Remember those in times of sorrow. And then the last way that we got to be honest with ourselves and fly by the instruments is we've got to lean on others. It may take other people in your life to give you the kind of perspective you need. It may take other people in your life to to give you that perspective. So so far, here's where we've been. Be honest with God. It's not going to crush him. Hey, he's stronger than that. You can be honest with God. He's gracious and stands ready to receive you. Be honest with yourself. Don't forget truth that's always there. Don't keep trying to fly by your visual references when you're in the midst of a storm and the the clouds have set in and you can't see anymore. You're gonna crash and burn. Fly by the instruments for a season. Go to anchor passages in scripture. Go to God's people. Remember your story of how God has been faithful in your life. And then here's the the last thing. Breakthrough starts to set in because uh, the third point is ask God to meet your needs. So be honest with God, be honest with yourself and ask God to meet your needs. 
So after the psalmist is able to be honest with God and he's able to be honest with himself, a breakthrough comes and he remembers that he can actually make requests of God. I mean, look with me at chapter 43. He begins to ask God, vindicate me, O God, defend my cause. In 43, verse 3, he says, send out your light and your truth to lead me back to your presence. He starts to make requests of God. Best I can tell in chapter 42, he's not making requests like this. He's coming to terms with himself, coming to terms with truth, wrestling with God, but then something happens and he starts to say, give me vindication, defend me, lead me home. When he says, send out your light and your truth to lead me back to your holy hill, here's basically a paraphrase of what he's saying. God, carry me home by your faithfulness. Carry me home. He starts making real requests of God. Carry me home by your faithfulness. And the good news is that God does indeed carry us home. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 27, verse 46, from the cross. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You may say, what does this have to do with God leading us, carrying us home? Well, this is a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. That's what Jesus is quoting, hanging on the cross. He's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So you say, okay, what's true? Is Psalm 22 about the person who wrote it in the Old Testament, or is it about Jesus here in the New Testament hanging on the cross? I'm so glad you asked that question. You guys bring great questions to Al and I when we're preaching, and we're so grateful for it. Yes. The good news is that you don't pray these psalms alone. You don't pray these psalms alone. You pray them, but you're not praying them alone. And you don't pray or walk Psalm 42 alone. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus saved us by taking on our burden for us. Remember the gospel with me. That Jesus endured the cross, took the full cup of God's wrath so that we didn't have to. Jesus voluntarily died, had God the Father's back turned on him. So God would never have to turn his back on us. Jesus prayed and lived the worst of the Psalms for us. So while you pray this Psalm and you can come to God and be honest and you can be honest with yourself about truth and you can be comforted by Psalm 42, the ultimate comfort of Psalm 42 comes in remembering that Jesus prayed this and lived this for you. While we're in our deepest despairs, we can find comfort that Jesus walked this path for us. So when the darkness settles in on our hearts and the clouds blur our vision and the sorrows come and the dryness settles like a drought in our soul, our comfort is not that hey, Psalm 42 tells me that I can walk through my sorrows. Our comfort is not that we can walk through our sorrows. It's that Jesus did walk through our sorrows. Psalm 42 leads us straight to the feet of Jesus. Because left to yourself, you can't walk through sorrows like this. 
You won't come out the other side. You don't have the strength. But Psalm 42 is meant to remind us of what Jesus said on the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? Or Psalm 42 says, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? The good news is that you don't have to suffer eternal rejection from God because Jesus did for you. That's good news this morning. Our hope is not that we walk through our sorrows. It's that Jesus did walk through our sorrows and lived to tell about it. So when you're in the midst of despair and sorrow and depression and spiritual dryness and you start making requests of God, your hope can't be in your own strength. It's gotta be on the strength of Jesus. Tim Keller has called Jesus the innocent sufferer as he compared him with Job. Jesus is the innocent sufferer. So he voluntarily became a man. He willingly suffered and died, but he didn't have to. There was no sin in Jesus that forced him to go to death just like we all have. There was nothing in Jesus that deserved death or the cross or rejection from God. Nothing. He was not tainted by sin. He was not condemned by sin and its effects. He's pure, righteous, holy, and innocent. The good news is that that means he's the only one strong enough to perfectly walk our path, bear our burdens, and suffer on our behalf. Because of his purity and perfection, he can lead you through your sorrows because he's strong enough. Jesus is strong enough. So when you get lost in your sorrow, you feel just like that, lost. When you're spiritually dry, it doesn't matter where you open up to God's word and you have found life before, it feels like it's all in another language. When we get lost in our sorrow and can't find our way out, remember that Jesus did find his way out. One song that I love is called He Will Hold Me Fast and I wanna read the lyrics this morning. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Our hope in sorrow is not that we can make it out. You have more on your plate than you can handle. 
our hope in sorrow and spiritual dryness is that he will hold us fast. And he will hold us fast, fast because he has walked the exact path you are walking to a far greater degree. Hebrews reminds us, which one of you have suffered against sin to the point of shedding your blood? Which one of you have suffered like Jesus in this? None of us. Jesus has. He took this sorrow to the next degree and didn't just walk a sorrowful human life, but experienced spiritual sorrow to a point that graciously we will never have to experience. That's why the cross was so big and scary and problematic is because not just the physical pain Jesus went through, but the spiritual tearing apart that happened between the eternal Son of God and the eternal Father. And you say, why did that have to happen? Because Jesus had to take everything we deserved. And that's exactly what he did. So while we walk in sorrow now in this life, we can remember that Jesus walked it too. And Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 remind us that he's the sympathizing savior. He's been tempted as we are yet without sin. Yes, he's the strong one, not us. So because he's been tempted as we are yet without sin, we can draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. Jesus is the light and truth that God sends into our despair to lead us out. So we started saying the main point of the sermon is that you can bring your sorrows to God. And you can bring your sorrows to God and God will bring you through your sorrows in the person of Jesus. The invitation this morning is to come to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need in whatever you're walking through. Not because we have wisdom to answer that. Not because you have strength to get through it. But because Christ will carry you home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible generosity that gave to meet our need when we weren't even really sure what our need was. Father, I pray that in this last song we would experience a kind of breakthrough that the clouds would part and for some of us, sun would shine for the first time in a long time on a dark and weary heart. So God, we come right to the throne of grace this morning. We don't have to go through back channels and find other ways. Because of Jesus, we get to come straight to you. We get to tell you exactly how we feel. The exact anger and frustration and sorrow that's in our heart. Thank you for being willing to listen. God, I pray that you'd move on people's hearts this morning to come and pray honestly, maybe for the first time. And I pray that you'd strengthen every single one of us to throw ourselves on Jesus because he is the faithful one. Jesus, you are faithful. You will hold us fast. You have walked the path we're walking, walked it perfectly, and come out the other side. And without you, Jesus, we will not make it. So rescue us this morning. 
If you'd like to pray, I will be over here and would love to pray with you. And these stairs are open to become an altar for you to come pray on. We'd love for you to come pray. Jay's gonna lead us in one more song. So respond how you need to.